something was going on. If you read all about it, which I did and when I was recovering and recovering, is the symptoms with bipolar 2 and the symptoms of menopause, because I was 10 years early menopause, they overlap so much and doctors don't pay attention to women's hormones. They only medicate. You're listening to the MILF Podcast. This is the show where we talk about motherhood and sexuality with amazing women with fascinating stories to share on the joys of being a MILF. Now here's your host, the milfiest MILF I know, Jennifer Tracy. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. Today on the show, I have Tanya Shear as my guest. Tanya is one of my dearest friends that I've known for 20 years. Tanya is a television writer and a screenwriter. She was the writer and host of Lifetime Celeb Buzz with Tanya. She sold a bunch of stuff. She's written a bunch of stuff. She went to the Groundlings and performed sketch and taught improv there. She's currently in production on a project called Stupid Genius that she is a co-creator, co-writer, and also acting in. So that's really cool. We talked about that. We really ran the gamut on this one. It was, uh, it was really one of my favorite interviews. We talked about gaslighting. We talked about marriage. We talked about, spoiler alert to the end of the show where I do the lightning round, but um, let's just say AKA Tanya, AKA Sparky Starfighter. That's all I'm going to say. I really hope you enjoy the show. And if you want to find Tanya online, we're going to supply a website for her where you can find her. She does her um, Tanya Sheer improv coaching which she's currently doing um, all over Los Angeles. And she also will fly to you if you want to hire her to come do. She does corporate improv coaching, rehab centers. Here we go. MILF podcast episode two with my guest, Tanya Shear. Hola, buenos dias. Muy bien, gracias. Tanya speaks 19 languages. I speak English. Although I was born in Spain, and so I have a big thing about I was born in Madrid, Spain. I'm a citizen of the world, and yet I was raised in Florida, Panama City Beach, the spring break capital of the world, and you couldn't get more white trash and redneck. I don't know if you're supposed to say redneck, but it's like military officers and rebel flags. Is that what's called? The Confederate flags just, you know, flying on the front porch. Wow. What was that like growing up there? You know, what was interesting just on a social study aspect is all of the military children migrated towards each other. So you had junior high school, high school, yet it was odd that all the military kids, we were all close. We were all close friends. We just discarded all the, you know, hobos, the white trash. (laughs) Those were the only other options. Got it. The ugly people. Love that people. It was a very elite group. It was very elite. Yes. I want to spend this entire time talking about the fact that in high school, I was a cheerleader. I was on homecoming court. There we go. And I designed my own dress. It was purple satin with puffed sleeves and sparkles on it. Mermaid dress, skin tight, and then straight out. But imagine like with a chunky ass. It was an eyesore. And I still have a picture of it with like brown teased hair. It was just it was all wrong. It was all wrong. We might need to find that picture. Yeah, we might need. I think I need that dress. Can you make another one for me? Really funny that I designed and had that dress made and then ended up 20 years later having my own dress business. Yes, that is funny. And that those were actually like legitimately beautiful silk dresses. Yes, they were. Back in high school. mm -mm. Our tastes change and evolve. And also 
For us, it was the 80s and the style back then was a little crazy. I know. But you know what? I wish I would have been one of those people who's like, yeah, the 80s, you know, whatever. And then I didn't succumb. I had, I'm like, I got my own thing going on. Not me. I was like, what? The 80s? Great. Leggings on, you know, chunky but funky thighs and a big oversized Forenza t-shirt or an Outback Red or Benetton. High school was definitely, it was something that I knew, like, this isn't a, this place I don't fit in. This is not my deal. I just knew it. You know it when you live somewhere. And you when you moved, you graduated, you moved, you went to college somewhere. I went to Florida State and I got my degree, barely, but I did get my degree and then moved out promptly, moved out to Los Angeles. Nice. You came where all the other weirdos are. Came where my family of freaks live. My beautiful, creative writer and actor, performer and directors, all my magical people live here. And you felt at home immediately. I did for the first year living. We lived on Sunset and Fairfax right there. Sunset. It was amazing. And uh, first year was uh, Michelle and I, my writing partner at the time. We, um, and by the way, in my sorority at high school. So I'm sorry, I'm sorry, in my sorority in college. Yeah. We shared a room together and my mat, I basically had like a box spring with maybe like some kind of, I don't know what, like some kind of fluffy bedspread on top, cinder blocks beneath there. And the weird thing was, is that, and I forgot this, I blacked out, but there was a point where we had both, because you couldn't hook up or do anything like that. So we would just go through, you know, go out drinking and then go to McDonald's. We've even done double drive throughs I don't know if you know that. What's a double drive through it's when you're so drunk, you go through McDonald's, you get your like Big Mac, your fries. You've eaten your fries as you're pulled out. So you have to get back into the drive-thru and ask them for some more extra supersized fries with like, nice, man, more mayonnaise, man. And uh, yeah, she was telling me about like, there's one time that we we're each in bedrooms. I should not divulge this because it's horrifying. But anyway, each in bedrooms, came out at the same time randomly. And then she was like, oh my God, freaking out with the guy that she was with. She was like... I just had him and he's got this tiny little penis. It's like as big as my pinky. And then I go, oh my God, I just took my guy's virginity. And we left. We left. I don't think we even peed. We just walked out and left. Took her clothes, grabbed, grabbed it. Boom. Done. Sounds like the opening of a movie. It sounds like a really beautiful, well-stabilized human being. <laughs> it's just kind of a magic little Audrey Hepburn, right? Oh, look at that little flower. Just two little girls just coming to the big city, making oh. their dreams come true. Yeah, hand in hand, sundresses, flowers. So you guys wrote a lot, and then you started performing. We wrote and sold our first screenplay, Rush. It was a dark comedy, spoofing Sorority Rush, which we'd gone through, which is just so amazing because it's just, you know, we have the secret cards and you, you know, each time you meet a new girl, you meet back for five minutes really quickly and you discuss like how fat they are, how skinny they are, how what their dress, you know, the length of their hair, the teeth and where they came from, how their nails are. I mean, it's so insane. And so then we used to do sketches for our sorting because you always do the stuff where you're hooked up with the different fraternities and you're always doing like skits and bits. So we were already writing and doing that at Florida State. And so it was just natural that she lived in Denver for a little bit just because she was a year older than me. Older. And she hated it in Denver and her brother was an agent for ICM in Los Angeles. So she moved down and then that was just as I was graduating a year later and she was like, you have to move out and live with me. I moved out, live with her. We immediately, she worked in the music industry and it was so fun. It was like, you know, going to see every band but not having to wait in line. It's all backstage. It was really a fun transition. I didn't have to ever make that 
transition of making friends in Los Angeles. And because I'd driven out also with another mutual friend of ours. And it was crazy. We drove across Texas and yet ran into people that we knew, which was another debacle all in itself. It involved a picnic table and a and a camcorder. That's all I'm going to say about that one. And we don't get any of that. Story. Some hallucinogenic. Oh, pot. OK. Um, so we got there. And so Michelle and I immediately we wrote our first screenplay. We sold that. People said, you're not going to sell your first one. We did. And um, then we I remember just going to see a show at the Groundlings. And she was like, oh, I really enjoyed the show. But me, I was like, oh, my God, that's what I want to do. And so that was the beginning of that. I saw Jim. Oh, what's that sweet guy's name? I can't remember. And uh, so I saw him doing the um, improv musicals. And watch that. And I was like, that's what I want to do. And which is a wonderful idea for a tone deaf little lady. But <laughs> but I wanted to do it and did it. I did it. Boom. Flash forward just a bit. So now you have this improv coaching business and you're doing coaching. It started because I taught improv at the Groundlings. So I, you know, performed and I wrote at the Groundlings and then taught improv at the ground. And then afterwards, I ended up also flying around and teaching improv all over the United States of America. Then I briefly moved up to Seattle and I was doing these workshops up there. And I'll talk about that later. But I was doing these work improv workshops up there and just people l just love them. And so um, I started doing them down here, but I'm doing them for therapeutic reasons for people that are recovering from addiction. Mm. So I teach improv for people that are recovering from addiction, preferably sex addiction. Because then you go full method. Well, yeah, it's just right off the bat. It's like, you know what, guys, we're doing yes and pants off. Yes and. OK, let's we're getting the characters, curly wigs, pants off. No, no, all even the nope, you can keep the flip flops on. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. So basically, all I care about is healing others and changing their lives and doing it pantless. In the midst of all this improv training and writing and selling your script, you met a man and you married that man. And gardening. Gardening. That's interesting that you should mention that because we're going to get to that later in our lightning round. It's just something that I want to spend the rest of this interview <clears throat> discussing. <laughs> my gardening skills and my spray painting skills, my arts and crafts and my hot gluing skills. You are very crafty and you've always been someone that you're very interested in making your home beautiful. I did this little video, which Ariane and we, we were doing, and I loved it. It was arts and crafts women, but we were wearing like way too tight leggings, yanking up and showing camel toe, but then like <laughs> constantly telling Kenny to get a close up on our handmade belts and that. And, <laughs> and it made me laugh so hard. But we did take googly eyes and hot glue them on the baby Jesus in like a Nazarene. <laughs> and I don't know. I feel like that extra like made it warmed my heart and converted me. To Judaism. Oh. <laughs> and being a gardener. Gardening has really been the through line through my entire life. Really? Because I was just at your place and... It's nothing but mud outside. It's just dirt. It's just mud and dirt. <laughs> it's weird because it's it's like all windows and upstairs and downstairs and lovely and white. And outside is just like 30 feet of bougainvillea and ferns. It's magical. And yet... When you look at the ground, which would be my gardening area, it's like, you know, it, you're going to like, it's like the tar baby. So you get to that later. I'll get to that later. I'll get to wherever you want to go. Let's go. No, I mean, like you'll get to the gardening later. In the, I've already done. Ground. You know what? I've researched. Yeah. It's like all about it's got to be moss. Yeah. I want to fast forward to you meet your husband, you get married, you get pregnant. 
pregnant, loved it. We got married four months. We had an amazing wedding in Palm Springs. I thought it was so it was Labor Day. So I thought, oh my God, people are going to spit on me. But it was, you know, we had just had like the pineapple mint lemonade outside and all citrus colors. And I loved my wedding dress. And it was just really, everything was like simple and yet just divine because you, you were there. You saw that it was just nothing. You were there, right, Jen? I wasn't there. Never mind. And we were friends. Why were you? You couldn't make it. I couldn't it. make it because my wedding, I the Hurricane Katrina came. and That's yeah. right. I remember all of that because I managed to make it to your wedding at Shutters, and somehow you didn't. So that's yeah. interesting about friendship. It's really interesting. I love it because Eddie had found a place called the Cree Estate and other people had gotten married there. And so it just was like the Spanish style outdoor as the sun was setting. And it was, again, palm trees everywhere, bougainvillea everywhere. It was like perfection. It was just like a vacation for everyone. Mm. So I want to talk about your daughter. I want to talk about your pregnancy, your daughter. You have your daughter. You become a mom. Okay. My daughter, Ava Rose, magical. She's 11 and she but is- let's back up to when you gave birth. So you gave birth, you have a kid, you have a husband. Like, what is that like? Amazing, magical. Like he was so cute, like full on legitimate golf champion. Rancho is a public course where all men of all stages can compete. And that's the beauty of it. And he's nine year in a row champ. And um, so, I mean, can you imagine in my wedding too, all the guys were seersucker with flip flops and like these Kelly green ties, not like, and these Kelly green ties, the little polka dots and Gerber daisy. He's just was like tall, handsome, brilliant, funny, tan. Um, full head of hair, just uh, basically, you know, when people say they make their list or they have these ideas of it, like he off the charts. And then four months later, we got pregnant with Ava Rose and both of us were just uh, like thrilled. And we had one of those amazing pregnancies also because I got to just stuff my face and he was happy to stuff his face. And that was during the time that Lost was on DVD and um, 24 and Grey's Anatomy. I mean, it was just like one movie after another and one bowl of ice cream and a burger and pizza after another. And it was just yummy. It was just a really great... Like bonding time for the two of them. Yeah. Like and I'd go to meetings and all. I had so many women in LA just supporting me and helping me and just loving and uh, guiding me through the pregnancy. It was unbelievable. And even after having Ava with deciding to breastfeed or not... I did breastfeed and then I intermittently months later had changed and, you know, started to incorporate like pumping and then um, also bottle feeding, bottle feeding. And then she also was a really easy baby. She was so easy. And Eddie was great about getting her up in the morning. And, you know, she's had her personality cut out since she was little. She's completely independent. Like there'd be a point where Michelle, I already told you about her, my writing partner. She was like, Ava's one years old and she's walking off in the middle of the park. She's like, you do realize she hasn't even looked back to see if you were there. And it's been 15 minutes. I'm like, I know. She's just her own girl. I've been in preschool. We were living up in Beverly Glen in those hills there and she went to um, Beverly Glen Playgroup. And so there's plenty of other kids that came back and reported stuff. And Ava's just not one of those people that would report, except one thing. Like there was a wild boy in Navarro and she had a favorite sailor dress and he pushed her in a bucket of water. And I, to this day, hear about it. And I'm like, yeah, but Navarro had, you know, impulse control issues. He was shadowed. So anyway, from then on, you know, it was just, she's just her own creature. I always say she's half boy, half girl. So she's just like dance and makeup and a princess. And yet she's, you know, shortstop. I don't know. How do you say number one player on the softball team? But she does softball and tennis and swimming and dance. And I get extra proud because she you already know I, I really get proud because I count on my fingers still to this day. I 
and she just tests gifted and highly gifted with math like constantly. So I'm just, I couldn't be prouder and I get her in two weeks. So you have a young child, you're trying to write, you're trying to work. I'm writing. I'm not trying to do anything. Oh, excuse me. Okay. I sounded like an asshole. Well, Tanya and I are also very close best friends for 20 years. So how was it balancing being married to this man of your dreams that you just described, this man of your dreams? I'm going to just flag that for later because we're going to come back around. can't remember, but someone was saying the reason that people do separate is often the very specific reason. Problem you had at the beginning is so often the um, reason that you separate. So you're separated now after how many years of marriage? I left him after 13. I mean, most people are okay with coke and whores, booze, and lying. But me, I was like, you know what? I'm not up for it right now. Later, totally. Take me through a little bit how he got, he came from the man that you just described at your wedding, the tan golf man with a full head of hair, funny, charming, handsome in Palm Springs, marrying you in a seersucker suit to what you just described. How, what was the, it took me a while to, understand that he was a different person when we were in West Seattle. Like I truly did not understand. So you moved from LA to West Seattle. Yes, I lasted a year and five months. To be near his family. West Seattle. Yeah, it was supposed to be the ideal place. We get this big house. It's overlooking the water, West Seattle. It's just a whole world. I mean, I don't mean this against anyone that lives in West Seattle, but it might be the worst place on the planet. It's small town. There's nothing. There's literally nothing to do. My poor child right off the bat was like, it's weird. Like, because she comes from L.A. where people are so colorful and especially with the friends that I have that are so loony and like, and I don't mean loony in a negative way. I mean, you come from the comedy world. The children are also comedic and adventures that we have, the dinners, the camaraderie. It's all just, it's extremely colorful. I don't know how to describe it, except for it's a whole other world. And so moving up there, Ava was really shocked because I'm shocked, but to have an 11 year old pick up on it right off the bat where she was like, it's weird. It's like, these people are just people. Like there's no, they're, they're just, people. It's like, I just call it land of the bland. Mm. And it's just basically, they're really into the Seahawks, into kayaking. They're like, it's the most beautiful place on the planet. And it's like, I mean, they have like a little quote unquote beach they call on Alki. And it's man-made. It's reeks of fish and urine. And yum. other than that, it's delicious. Um, but in all honesty, it's just a very limited mentality. The people there, I was surprised that the divorce rate was so high there in West Seattle, as opposed to Los Angeles. Ava was also surprised. And I think it's because there's such a limited thing to do there. People there, they go to their job and they drink. It's a big drinking culture. And then I guess they fuck and get divorced. And Which is basically deal. what happened to you. <laughs> yes. So Eddie got there and he was like, I guess that's all you do is fuck. So we got there and I think something happened where we did get the quote unquote dream. So, you know, the house, perfect child, the, I'm going to take perfect away. Let's say perfectly dysfunctional because <laughs> dysfunctional and, you know, I think our relationship was broken long before we split. But we did have this we had like a long list of lovely things to be grateful for. And so it was in some ways this beautiful thing. And then Eddie, shortly after moving, he grew up there. So he had family and friends and he reconnected with all his high school friends, which is really cool, especially when you don't even expand out past your high school friends. So he just was like, hey, high school buddies, I'm just going to hang out with you. And that was it. Like he, he did not make one more friend. It was just hanging out with his high school friends, drinking, and then pretty soon after started cheating and then 
and I was really torn because we'd already had this passion problem. So when he did, fi- oh no, he didn't tell me. My daughter found out and she told me on the phone, like dad is, I found these, you know, texts and these dating sites and mom, I don't think dad's out playing poker. He shifted, he stopped playing golf. He wasn't doing any of that. He just started playing pinball every night, which still friends and I don't even understand, but it went straight from no golf to drinking constantly. He was a teetotaler. So, and I don't drink. So it was drinking cocaine, really ugly women. And I was trying to be like so positive. I was like, I'm really happy that you've like, you know, are having this passionate, you know, thing. But then I'm like, I'm also torn. I don't know how to make it work. Like we did. We tried to even consider making it work as far as like, should we have an open marriage? Yeah, because it's like you. the last thing you ever want to do is break up your marriage. So and it ended up being the best thing in the world because I had said to Ava, this is just like two years ago, but I had said to Ava, you know, we're going to split. And she was like, she'd just gotten back from a week at horse camp. And we sat her down and said, mom's moved out. And she was like, yes. Um, she's like 50% of marriages end in divorce. She does not like us together, did not want us together. And it was surprising because we don't yell. We're not like slam the door and storm off in that kind of a relationship. I think more than anything, yeah, he had a complete personality change. The cocaine was a huge part of it. He was doing it a lot. I just was like, I can't be with someone. And then even above that is I can't be with a liar. So I'm really invested in us still like maintaining a friendship, as far as we possibly can for ourselves and Ava. I just think it's really healthy and we're doing a great job at that. I just can't, I wouldn't be, I mean, I wouldn't surround myself with someone that fabricated everything that came out of their mouth. So you moved back to LA. So I moved to LA and I found the perfect place in a matter of one week. I happened to go and visit and it was one of those serendipitous weeks where I knew I wanted Ava to go to this school, Paul Revere, which is in the Palisades because it's public, but it's on acres and acres of land and they have a farm in the center of it and people try to lottery in. It's just an amazing school. And then I also knew I didn't want to go back to LA and live in Hollywood and like the insanity of that. I just didn't want to vibrate that high, but I love going there, you know, consistently, but not living there. I love driving back to the Palisades along the PCH, just along the ocean and going back to my beautiful home. And then Ava has a um, school that's just four miles away. And the setup is fantastic. Before you moved to Seattle, a couple of years before you moved to Seattle, you had this experience that I want to talk about where you hadn't had a drink or a drug for many years, 10 years or something. And um, I'm guessing. I can't remember how long it was at that point. And all of a sudden, your friends did an intervention on you. Well, it was like I got sober when I was 26. I got sober when I was 26. And so I was sober for a little bit. Then I was three years sober. And I thought maybe I was just too young to get sober. So I called my friends and I said, I'm going to try some controlled drinking and cocaine. And that did not work out. And then I was sober again for about two and a half years. And then I went out on Vicodin. Um, and so I changed my date, obviously, because some people don't, but anyway, um, and then now sober for about, oh, coming up on 13 years, not, you know, excluding the other sobrieties. So just 13 years. And I was, I see a therapist and I'm on medication. What are you on medication for? I'm on medication for bipolar two. You know, what's weird is then the problem is I've had therapists over and over debate. Is it bipolar one or bipolar two? No, no, no. Oh. Debate whether I'm bipolar or not. They go on. They're like, you're on the cusp. You're on the cusp. You're on the cusp. And that was really challenging for a number of years. Prior to getting sober, I was 
I dealt with anxiety and depression, and that luckily was removed. That went away after I got sober. You know, my life just expanded and got really beautiful like it does. Just best thing in the whole universe, just magically. And then so many, so many great things, as you know. Really important to put out that I was against medication for years, and I it was lucky that I had this really strong, broad Jolene, and she's like, you're off your meds. And she was sober as well, and she ran some kind of recovery home, and she was just like, use someone that you need medication. And I did, otherwise just like paralyzing anxiety and depression. So long story short, on medication and seeing a doctor uh, regularly, but something was off and off and off. And- this is a couple of years ago. This is 2015, I think. So we're talking even like three plus years ago. I was slowly, uh, how do I say, not just unraveling. I would, the best thing I would say is hypomanic. So doing just a million things, you know, going and teaching at Ava and camps and doing your dresses, your dress company, it, like just everything you can imagine, like driving downtown every single day. And you were very thin. I was going to say and losing weight. So I got down to about 95 pounds. I think it even was less, but I think it was around 95 and my friends got together unbeknownst to me and it was about eight or nine of my friends and they're my comedy friends. So there's different, you know, you have like your AA friends, you have your mom friends, you have your comedy friends. So these are my comedy girls that got together and arranged an intervention. So like I popped over to my friend Kristen's house and uh, it turned out that we rounded the corner and she immediately started crying because she'd felt bad because she felt like she'd trapped me into an intervention. And I rounded the corner and there were like eight women sitting there um, waiting for me to, you know. Was to, your husband there? And they purposely did not invite Eddie because they were concerned as to why Eddie wasn't taking any action. Like, Did something. Eddie know that this intervention was happening? He did. And he told me about it the night before. And we still thought... It's not really going to happen. Okay. And, but we didn't know. Let me be clear. He told me about it the night before, but we had no idea that it was happening the next day. Oh, he just said, you know, Cynthia's called and she's a little concerned that there might be an intervention. I was like, well, if something is wrong, I'm open to any help and changing me, you know, m myself and improving myself in any way. And so, which is why when I did go to the intervention, the reason that I also acquiesced is I had, you know, eight or nine women saying, we love you, something is wrong. And so I was like, all right. And what is that like showing up to your own intervention by surprise? It's like a surprise intervention. It's just like a big, fat, fun surprise party, but just no balloons. I was like, and what food do you serve at an intervention? <laughs> and it was weird. It was like, you know what it's like? It's really weird. So it's, and the reason I'm saying it's really weird is I sat there and I was like, I wish any of you were in my place right now. I would be here for you doing this. I can't believe that I'm the one. Right. Cause you were sober. There wasn't an intervention for any kind of addiction. They were just concerned about your mental state. Yeah. People thought I was on drugs and drinking and not so to say just like to minimize that that's very important but usually interventions are synonymous with drug addiction drug and alcohol addiction i didn't find out that i it was not only the medication that was been that was given to me but it was a combination of also being full-blown menopause so something was going on if you read all about it which i did and when i was recovering and recovering is the symptoms with bipolar 2 and the symptoms of menopause, because I was 10 years early menopause, um, they overlap so much and doctors don't pay attention to women's hormones. They only medicate. So when I did go, I was flown out the next day to the Meadows. That's the place that like they went, you know, and sent me to the Shishi place that like 
Kate Moss went to Tiger Woods, Harvey Weinstein. It's like, you know, it's got a pool and yoga and acupuncture. And, you know, it was not a pleasurable experience for me at all. But it was, you know, definitely a, they were doing something out of love. And when I did go there, they do all this blood work and everything, but they don't check to see if you have an influx of hormones or any kind of problems of, you know, or a depletion of hormones and turn out I didn't have any estrogen, no progesterone. Instead, I met a doctor half hour. He's like, you're bipolar too. Boom. We start medicating you. They medicated me so much. I left the meadows and they had me on nine medications. I was throwing up twice a day. I would take the medications administered and um, hold them in my system so that my body would absorb them for 20 minutes and then throw, throw up. I couldn't, I could barely. And so, um, and then also I didn't know this at the time, but I had double vision. I didn't know the term that I was having double vision. I just knew that all of a sudden the blur started in and then I couldn't see in front of me. And at the meadows, what they did is they had me see an optometrist. And then they told me I had old eyes. My eyes were just aging. And so it was, you know, a month later of this going, because I was afraid, you know, cut back. I finished the Meadows. I'm in Los Angeles. I'm having to drive my car. I'm having to drive my daughter. And yet my eyesight at varying times out of the blue starts to just come in. So I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm going to be on the 405 and this is going to happen and I'm not going to be able to shift lanes. And, you know, so it was really dangerous um, for me. And so I'd gone to, Florida to my parents to sort it out. And, and I, the first thing I did that night is I laid out in front of my parents and my brother, these nine medications. And I said, this is what I'm told I'm supposed to take for the rest of my life. And so it was a process. And we slowly doctor after doctor, blood work after blood work, finding out, oh, you're in the middle of menopause. Great. That was one little thing. Another thing was the doctors that I saw in Florida one particular doctor, he goes, no, no, no. The reason you have double vision is because they have you on this medicine, this medicine, and this medicine. And these three medicines combined cause double vision. Now, on top of it, we also printed out every medication and every side effect and symptom. I don't want to say study, but we really researched and really researched these and saw that, you know, unfortunately, my psychiatrist at the Meadows, when I was complaining of nausea and throwing up, just said, well, are you eating with your meds? And then at the Meadows, the lead doctor, when I complained of double vision, just said, go see an optometrist. I believe that those places can be, can't, they're not all like this, but can be like just a machine, just a factory of bring, come in, we're going to, we're going to diagnose you. We're going to fill you full of meds. And then we're going to spit you out because I want to tell you that my friends that held the intervention, they were saying, you know, we just, we don't think you have the right doctor. We want to find out what exactly is wrong. And we want the old Tanya back. That's what was said. We Something is wrong. We want the old Tanya back. And so it was really frustrating to go back, to go sent off and be put on so we didn't get the meds straight. It was worse. It got worse. It got worse. At we, the most expensive rehab in the country, the most well-known. and We didn't get you on the right meds. And on top of that, when I asked for the correct doctor, like, help me get a doctor, help me get help. I want an astute doctor. Obviously, that's part of, that's, you know, part of the problem. Right. She was like, no, no. It handed me 30 pages with 20 doctors on them and said, this is in your insurance. So just start calling. And wasn't there a night when you were there where you had to sleep? On a couch in the admin room in the office or something? It was so ice cold and freezing that I slept in my jackets, blankets, Ugg boots, 
came out, you know. Because it was Christmas time and they didn't have enough rooms or something? They didn't have enough rooms. So it was like everything was overcrowded. So I didn't even have a room. And But it's supposed to be tranquil and soothing. It was a pool and acupuncture. It was unbelievable. It was the antithesis. I was like, oh, let me go for a jog. And it was like, oh, they show all that it's spacious. And it's like the jog to run around the facility takes approximately three minutes. But what I loved is looking at the mountains through barbed wire. That's a lovely (laughs) visual. So that was lovely. (laughs) Seriously? They have barbed wire? They have barbed wire. Because people have tried to escape? Was there lore of this or like what? I don't. It's so confusing because you willingly get to stay there. So is it like to keep the animals out or to keep the animals in? We don't know. (laughs) We don't know. Long process. Yeah, it was long process. It took me a year after the Meadows to. And then you moved to West Seattle. (laughs) That was the next (laughs) Which all of my friends here were like, what do you do? Do not move to West Seattle. I'm like, but... Well, you thought it was going to be the best thing for your family. I mean, it makes sense. For my family, period. Because I was like, oh, yeah, I'd rather live... Where would I rather live? What's the worst place to live? Because I already knew. I'd I'd already visited Seattle many times. And I already knew I would never want to live there. That was the first time I visited. I said... Willing to make the sacrifice. You know what it was? I felt really guilty about the meadows and my mental state. And I wanted it for... Not just my family. I was like, I felt so much guilt about putting Eddie through it that I was like, this is your gift. We're going to move to Seattle. You get to move to back to your family and friends because he always wanted to move back to Seattle and um, reconnect with his high school friends. And so that really was, I was like, I put this guy through hell here. I want you to have the life that you, you know, think you would would love. And the irony is that once you guys got there, everything imploded, it sounds like. It was absolutely, like you had the house and you had the dog and you had the daughter in school and the family nearby. But then all of a sudden. I think what it is, yes, I'm answering you 100%. What I was going to tell you is that we have the, in Los Angeles, you have so many diversions. You're doing so many different things. So it's like whether you're doing podcast or writing a script or you're doing a TV or you're named 300 things, you know, you're, na- you're doing with your child and creatively. So these diversions were keeping our family, our marriage together. So once we moved to Seattle, you take all of those things away. And you're just left with each other. And you're just left with each other. And then it was like a year of us trying to duct tape this motherfucker together. You know what I'm saying? Let's fix it. Let's, we can do, we can do it. Like I said, you know, like, can we do outside marriages? How do we, let's do therapy. Let's, we'd already done therapy, actually. We'd already done that for years. Like, remember? It was like, we already had sex therapy where it was like, we're going to do nude time. Remind me of what the sex therapy is. I just love that it was called nude time. I've never heard someone. What does that mean? Nude time is when you set, you're, first of all, you're nude. So you're naked with your partner in bed. It's very sexy. It's very sexy. Laying on your backs, (laughs) staring at the ceiling. You set your timer for 15 minutes and you gently caress the extremities, a.k.a. the arm or elbow or leg for 15 minutes. You just do some touch therapy. No genitals, nothing, just touching. And did you guys try that? Yes. And we tried it. How many times did you do it? We did it enough that I, I remember us being in, um, we were staying in La Quinta and I remember doing it. We're like, this really works. This really works. We were out by the pool after doing our therapy session. I mean, my God, we tried. 
I got to tell you, we we really tried. And we were, you know, Eddie and I were talking about it last night. And because, of course, after a separation, because now I'm down in L.A., he's in Seattle. But yet we are extremely close, friendly. So we were, as anyone would do, not close, but amicable (laughs) and friendly. And like, I want the best for him. He wants the best for me. It's not. And that is not the two of us together. It's just like, you know, we had a great run. We were dissecting it like anyone would looking back, like, when did it go wrong? How did it go? You know, that kind of a thing. So we tried everything we could. And it was just, yeah, I'm just so grateful that things went the way they did because Ava came out of our marriage. I wouldn't change anything. Wouldn't even change anything about our marriage, uh, about how Ava was raised and like all of the times that we had, you know, when we lived on Ashton and I loved that place and got married and our um, honeymoon in Maui and our you know, and our birthdays celebrated and friends and dinners in the evenings and all the traveling. It, there's so many beautiful things that went on in our marriage. So I have no regrets about that. I have no regrets about the year and five months that I stayed in Seattle. It had to happen. I don't even have regrets about uh, Meadows. It was supposed to, you know, it helped jar me and get better. Do you feel like those experiences deepened you in a way that nothing else could, could have? West Seattle and the Meadows eventually ending your marriage? I think I'll always be shallow as fuck. But as far as me aligning myself with the life that I love, and that's what was confusing about the meadows and being in Seattle. I'll tell you what was really confusing about the two of those things. The confusing thing was like, what went wrong? I had this amazing life and then really turned up the noise on that. When I was in West Seattle, I was like, how did I get here? Like Mm. the life that I had, when you think of performing and writing and collaborating and going and pitching shows and selling TV shows or working on a feature or doing your films, your friends short. I know I go on and on about it, but I really have been so grateful. I've just lived a really full life. So I was really baffled and in shock and trying to like solve a Rubik's cube, trying to solve the, like, how did I get here? And why, how am I here in West Seattle? How am I here? How did it, how the fuck did that happen? But you took a shift. You took a turn and you said, I'm, you I'm not going to be shit. here. <laughs> but you took a shit. You took a shit. And it was the best shit. <laughs> you're here. You're, you're back with all your friends. Your daughter's going to be coming Oof. for the summer. You're working on this new TV show. Do you want to talk about the TV show a little bit? Yeah, I love it. It's basically a dream. Again, I'm back here. I'm with, you know, you and Shane and my, and a number of friends. The reason I point out you and Shane is because you guys got me through Seattle. I could not have done it had you not just helped me solve what was going on, the gaslighting going on with Eddie. Um, I mean, that's definitely something that I'd be open to discussing just for other women that are dealing with. Yeah. Tell um, me about the gaslighting. gaslighting. What is that like? Gaslighting is when someone over and repeatedly calls you insane or crazy. Um, Your behavior is insane. You are crazy. You're insane over time, years and years and years. Um, And uh, you do believe that you are insane or you question and just, um, and doubt your sanity. But also gaslighting is one person causes the other person to uh, question their sanity and also question their life and their perspective. So it causes them to question their own reality, not just their sanity, but their reality. 
And Eddie has since said to me, maybe I did this to you. Like I can't, what I did to you in, in um, Seattle, I will, I will never be able to forgive myself for. And so he's like, it's so painful that I'll never look at it. I'm not going to look at it. It's too much. And I got, I was like, I totally get it. Um, so it's just another, so I couldn't have survived it without you and Shane. Cause we laughed through it and it was hell. I mean, it was pouring rain, gray, not a friend in the world. Yet my husband surrounded by his family and friends out drinking, doing drugs and like women, 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 and then lying to me. And I, we'd had such an honest relationship that I had told him everything. And, um, I would do that. Again, that's just how I, that's just how I roll. I'm just, I'm very transparent and um, so are my close friends and I couldn't do it without you. So here we are in LA. And so to be gifted with a producer approaching Shane and I and saying, we want you to write this show, um, Stupid Genius, based on. It's based on you guys. It's based on us. And I was just going to say that it's, you know, it's also fictionalized. So it is based on some woman post divorce living in the palisades in los angeles starting her life over and um and not even starting her life over just creating a new life yeah. it's not like starting next chapter it's like yeah just the creation act. of that and then along with the surly friend that is in the middle of a very dysfunctional marriage that is slowly breaking is slowly crumbling and breaking apart and watching that person do everything they can to keep that together because we do that many of us do that for the children she has two children i have one child it's very odd because i spoke to eddie yesterday and i said well i also stayed together so much because i didn't want to do anything destructive to ava and he said that's really short-sighted what did he mean that i shouldn't have done that because ava is going to be fine yeah is that what he was implying and i and i thought that um that almost seems like a gaslighting it's always like I make the with Eddie. I'm, there is no always or never, but it's a definite like, yeah, he called me insane last night. And I just told him, I said, you know what? I've been here in, Lo in Los Angeles away from you for five months. I have to be honest with you. I'm not insane. Mm, good for you. Yeah. I know this sounds so cheesy between the two of us, me going, I'm not insane. <laughs> good for you. But it's like <laughs> to it have is, someone for is. years and years, they just call yeah. you insane. They call you crazy. You're the insane one because you're sober right. and you go to therapy. And then not just always call you insane, but also a question every time you make a statement. So And every decision you make and every, yeah, every job you take or, you know. And so it was like for me to say I stayed for the family and because I didn't want to do something that would disrupt my daughter because we read statistics and how these negative things could happen right. for your child. I was like, I'm going to make it work. I'm going to make right. it work. And for, and then Eddie's response last night was like, well, that's short-sighted. It's like, well, no, thanks bro. It's a reason. Thanks for the weigh in. I'm just telling you what the motives. All right. It's that time. We're going to wrap it up with some of uh, the MILF podcast questions. I have two questions I ask every guest and then we're going to do a lightning round of questions. Great. Are you ready? Yeah. The two questions I ask every guest, what is something that you've changed your mind about recently? I think that I was absolutely against dating ever again. And so I'm open to like possibly dating. Great. How do you define success? The things that I seek and that I feel when I'm successful is a combination of joy and peace. But I, 
uh, in conjunction with that, to me, success is a full life with close friends and just a lot of, a lot of joy experiences. Um, success, I also think is filling those, your life with what it is you want and being present in that. So I love traveling. So it's including experiencing those things, but then also being present with that. And then I just get no other joy than being with my girlfriends. No other, and boys. I mean, my boys make me laugh like nothing else, but no other, you know, nothing compares to that. True. I'm with you on that. I'm also going to say that in conjunction with that is your creative endeavors, like feeding that success. Yes. Yes. Because it's got to come out somewhere. If you are a creative person, it's got to come out somewhere. Yeah. You can't stifle it. Nope. Because it'll, it'll drown you. Yep. All right. Lightning round. So this is where I ask you questions. You just answer gel polish or regular polish. Gel. Daytime sex or nighttime sex? Night. Texting or talking? Talking. Whole Foods or Trader Joe's? Whole Foods. Cat person or dog person? Ugh. Dog person. Daniel Craig or Ryan Reynolds? Neither, but Ryan Reynolds. I'd rather do, um, what's his face? The boxer. Come on, the boxer. What's it? Christian Bale. Angry motherfucker. And then can you imagine the makeup sex with that shit where he just grabs your hair and throws you on the floor and you're like, I want it. I take it. Okay. And ask for more. On a scale of one to 10, how good are you at gardening? You're kidding me. No, on a scale of one to 10, you got to be kidding me. Um, Because I was joking about gardening. Fantastic. I kept plants alive, these succulents alive. Um, Literally packed them because I love them so much in the trip from Seattle to Los Angeles. And they are still alive and happy. So that's a 10. Yep. Okay. If you could push a button and have perfect skin for the rest of your life, but it would also give you incurable halitosis for the rest of your life, would you push it? God, no. Superpower choice. Invisible whenever you need to be or able to fly? Invisible. Would you rather have a vagina that speaks? Or have the ability to fart songs? Every person is going to answer that question the same. We all want to speak in vagina. You already know that. My vagina does speak. What was the first And she's very sing-songy. She's very sing-songy. She makes a lot of noise. She lets me know what's going on. She guides me. She does not talk shit about me, which I love. (laughs) She's just super cute and sweet and popular. She's very popular. I bet she is. Mm -hmm. What was the name of your first pet? Uh, Sparky. What was the name of the street you grew up on? Starfighter. It's a great porn name. You're joking. No. Sparky was my dog and my street was Starfighter. I'm Sparky Starfighter. Oh my God. It's great. That wins. Yum. Thank you so much for being on the show, Tanya. I love you. Thank you so much, Jen. I love you. I love you more. I do. I love you. I don't know what I would do without you. (laughs) Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the show. Make sure you head on over to milfpodcast.com where you can find transcripts of every episode, show notes, tweetable quotes if something resonated with you and you want to retweet it. Also links to all our social media profiles and give us your email so we can stay in touch and keep you apprised of all things Milfy. Thanks for listening. 